My name is Brianna, and I welcome you to the Tales of Adventure, a D&D podcast like no other. My name is Aaron. My character tonight is Tristan Dahara. I am a big tabletop RPG fan and have been for pretty much my entire life. You wouldn't happen to be Tristan Dahara, would you? Why, yes. In fact, I am Tristan Dahara. It's unusual to find someone who knows about me without me knowing about them. May I ask your name? My name is Estra. I'm rather new here, but I've heard the bits and pieces of your story. Would you mind sharing it with me? Absolutely. I'm afraid I'm not much of a storyteller, but I'm more than happy to share my, my story with you. Please, come, sit down. Tristan will direct her to the table that he's sitting at. As she sits, she will note that there is more than a few curious eyes looking at her and also at him. But they, they view, there's almost a look of respect and adoration towards Tristan. She's used to people staring at her, so this doesn't bother her. She just slides into the seat. So please, what is it you've heard? Quite a variety of rumors, most of them pertaining to you helping take care of the person who is trying to become a god, or trying to take over the world, or trying to kill the- I'm- there's been multiple versions of the stories, so I'm unsured which ones are true, though. Ah, yes. Ericus. A look of very deep determination crosses his face at the mention of the name. Yes, Drake Ergliff is truly a man wrapped up in his own power. Pretty challenging thing to deal with, for sure. I've had issues with men like that before. They don't get along very well, usually. I'm afraid the times that I have had to cross or deal with Ergliff or his men have never gone terribly well. But yes, um, my friends and I are, uh, in fact, it's it's interesting. You've come at quite an interesting time. You may or may not have seen the bustle of activity just outside the tavern, but we are about to go to war. There. That definitely does explain some of the things I saw, but who with and what over? Well, Ergliff. The man is overreaching his powers, and we are now seeking to... Put an end to him. Well, at least put an end to his reign. He is massing forces to strike out against the various peoples of the world. And we are going to move in and attempt to cut him off. What do you know of him? The man is incredibly self-obsessed. He claims to think of his people ahead of himself, but at the same time seeks 
further power, more power, claiming that in order for him to truly serve his people, he must gain as much power as possible. I'm familiar with such people. There was someone like that in my home, and it did not end well for anyone. Mm. It rarely does. It rarely does. The man has... He, from what I understand, this is before my time, he claimed rulership of one of the smaller continents north of here. It's a pretty impressive thing to just casually claim rulership of an area. And it's, it's, it's odd because there really is only two places of civilization within the, the continent. There is the main city and then there is the small village that produces the majority of the food stock for Ergliff's city. Perhaps he chose to claim a place less populated so there would be less people to resist. That's entirely possible. To my knowledge, there was never any movement against him on his continent. He was um, unchallenged for some time. It, it seemed almost seemed like the world paid him no mind. That is rather strange indeed. And he has decided himself that power is his goal. And in doing so, he has done things such as here in Boulderon, sending agents to steal a device that allows the production of flying vessels. Airships. Precisely. There is a few of them here now. We managed to retrieve the original device from one of his airships, and the artificers here, the gnomes, were able to recreate it, luckily. It took some time, but they managed to do it, and production of their own airships has been slow, but it has been on track. Unfortunately, Aeroglyph's fleet grew at a much more rapid pace. He and his advisors were working incredibly quickly to create these things because, well, no one on this world had ever seen anything quite like it before. And he armed them with some incredibly dangerous weaponry. Things capable of almost leveling an entire city at a whim. Airships can prove rather dangerous in combat. Unfortunately, we found that out ourselves. We had stolen one and were attempting to fend off yet another one of his airships. And in the process, ours took far too much damage. And we ended up crash landing on one of the continents to the, to the northwest of here. A very wild, savage continent. In the process, unfortunately, we lost one of our original party members. It still haunts me to this day. Sorry to hear that losing someone is never easy, especially when they're someone you've fought side by side with. You don't mind my asking, though, how did you get involved in this? Oh, well, I actually lived in the village, the surf village that helped feed Ergliff and his people. That was well over two years ago now. I was a hunter, content with doing my part to help help feed my people and 
help feed the people of our continent, you know? It was not an unhappy life. It was worthwhile. It was satisfying. There was falseness to it, I'm guessing. Well, yes. It always felt like there was something else. Some, something bigger than anything the village had. There was the, the sealed cave that um, seemed to have been there since gods. Probably the beginning of time, if not further. It was this a solid door with strange etchings and runes upon it. It would not move, would not open. Ereglyph was apparently very interested in this and had been speaking with the leader that he had set to the town, a man by the name of Anthony. He was tasked with trying to find a way to open the sealed cave. Many different tries, it simply would not open. I recall the day before it all happened, Ereglyph himself was in the village and he was demanding that the cave be opened. He seemed far more agitated than I had ever seen him before. Normally, when he would come and visit, he was very open, friendly, yet stern, as a leader and someone who is in a seat of power is wont to do. Poor Anthony was at a loss with attempting to find any sort of method to open the cave. That night, after we closed the gates and put the cattle away, then there was the alarm bell that rang out. I was one of the first to wake and uh, rushed out to find out what was happening. And it was there that the, the son of the village leader, uh, Anothi, he said, my sister, Celan, she's missing. And then somebody else shouted that the sealed cave was open. Oh, my. Yeah, this is... It was entirely unprecedented. No one had ever considered anything of that. We had all tried at some point. Even, I mean, children, old people, the hardiest of us, the weakest of us. We had all tried to open it, and yet, nothing. Was it the little girl that opened it, or did she just go in after it was open? Well, Salan was an interesting young woman. She was, to put it lightly, probably one of the most amazingly beautiful women that has ever crossed anyone's path. And yet, she was entirely, I suppose the best way to say it is, she was almost like a vegetable. She could stand, and she could move, and she could look and, and hear, but she did not speak, and she did not move on her own. She did not even eat without someone helping her. One would assume that there was something terribly wrong with her, but she could not have gone anywhere without somebody's help. And yet... Seems that she did. The world is full of strange and impossible things. Indeed. We found ourselves, myself, my friends, Corinia and Bryn, and Cyrene, she had a, a tamed wildcat, uh, almost appeared to be some sort of uh, jungle cat. We all, we all headed into the cave, 
and as soon as as soon as the last of us crossed the threshold, the door sealed behind us with a resounding slam, and it was frightening. I would imagine so. And yet not any more frightening than the mysteries we found within. It was no cave, Ezra. It was made by hand. Smooth stone walls, stone floors, strange glyphs drawn on panels on the walls. Dust everywhere, save for one single path that looked like somebody who was dragging their feet. And we knew that it was probably Salam. Probably. What did you find when you went further? Strange creatures that inhabited the place. Large, almost insect-like things that swooped down upon us without any warning. I myself attempted to fend them off with my hunting bow. And I will say one got the best of me. Here's where things get even stranger. The instant I felt my conscience leave me, I was standing again at the entrance to the cave just after the door had closed. Something wasn't right, yet I remembered already going in. Strange. Sounds like either it was a trial of sorts or there was something there that wanted to make sure you survived. Must have been something powerful and old, I would imagine. It was very strange. Over the course of our, what felt like an hour or so, two others of us fell in combat against a strange, liquid-like being that rose from a pool in the center of a chamber. Humanoid skeletons that moved under their own power assaulted us and felled one of us, and each time we returned to the entrance unscathed, but still remembering that we had gone further, and yet we were still there. Eventually, we found ourselves to a room where an entire wall was covered with five very large mirrors, each one a polished surface that would outshine even the highest ladies' vanity mirrors in a palace. It's impressive. Those can be very obnoxiously shiny. It was. It was incredibly obnoxiously shiny, but we thought we saw Salan in there, but it seemed to just be a vision. She vanished briefly after telling us to look into the mirrors. As each of us did, we did not see a true reflection of ourselves, but a almost, I suppose the best way to say it is an idealized version of ourselves. I viewed myself not in my simple garb and simple tools, but armored, weathered, weapons that I had never seen before. I looked as though I had seen years of, of adventure and combat. It was unsettling. And then we all shared a vision of a strange floating land with a grove of trees and three people standing on the on the edge of this land, all seemingly conversing and hurriedly conversing, when the sound of what I can only describe as some kind of thrumming approaching from behind. And that's when, within the vision, there were these 
flying vessels that all began to fire these massive projectiles at this grove of trees. Then the three people all shouted and leapt from this floating land, and then they all fell. And that's when the vision ended for us. We were all thrown by it. Sounds all very, very incredibly strange. Or what about that he was looking for? Well, what it was, was further down. We made our way past a strangely humanoid-looking being that could only be described as a walking mushroom, and wandered through a mossy pathway, and down a very long set of spiral stairs, and found ourselves to a chamber, where we did find, once again, Salan. She did not disappear this time, but we also saw within the six, well, no, not the six of them, five of the statues of the gods of our world. We found the statues of Terra, the god of Earth, Levan, the god of fire, Aquan, the god of water, Luxana, the god of light, and Nocturne, the god of darkness. Each one of them had an outstretched hand and these glowing glyphs hovering over them. And then when we entered, Selene looked at us and actually moved her head to look at us. Now to see this, when you see a, a woman who is incapable of moving on her own, to actually lift her own head and look at you was startling enough. But then she muttered something and this dome of colors surrounded us. It was like a rainbow. And then she stood and she spoke with us. She told us that she had opened the cave and had helped guide us to it so that we could take on these glyphs being offered by the, the statues. She told us that she had seen in some sort of vision that we were special, that we were to be the heroes that would protect the future heroes of our world. I imagine that was a very strange conversation in several ways, but it's kind of hard to not believe her in that particular circumstance. Well, it was very hard to believe at first, but we all seemed to understand. Her brother was stunned and shocked that she was capable of doing anything like that. After she finished speaking with us, that colorful bubble collapsed to within her and she fell but her brother caught her and then we each approached one of the statues and reached out to touch the glyphs and once we did they they became a part of us tristan at this point will lean his head to his right side and kind of pull back a portion of the tunic along his neck and there is a elaborate looking mystical glyph that doesn't appear to be tattooed but it appears to be physically a part of him. And there's indications of what look like tree vines and roots and stonework that sort of spider out from it and go a little bit up his neck and looks like it goes down past his shoulder. So I guess you chose Earth then. 
Indeed, I touched the glyph of Terra. That does explain several things that I noticed when I came in here. I felt the energy of some sort. That is also due to one other thing. And you see that Tristan is wearing gloves on his hand. He pulls off the glove of his right hand and he holds it up. And on the back of his hand is a slightly glowing, much more intricate and elaborate glyph that contains a definitive appearance of what looks like earth and plant matter. This, Esra, is the glyph of Terra. Within this very city that you have entered into, the body of the god Terra had been laid to rest within a very, very large statue. And after we had done a favor, done more than a favor, dealt with a very large menace to this city, the king of Boulderont, King Oliver Boulderont III, he said that we would be allowed to view the statue. As we went down into this holy sanctum, it felt as though the statue was still alive in a way. Probably was. Gods are difficult to kill, and often even if after they've been killed and are long dead, that power doesn't just go away. No, it does not. And it was truly a eye-opening experience. I approached the statue and reached out to touch it. And my companions tell me that what happened is that I was turned completely to stone when I did. Mind you, I didn't feel a single thing. I found myself standing before the god Terra. She was nine feet tall and held a power that I had never felt before. This being was not only so utterly caring of others, but also more than willing to stand in front of everyone just to shield them from the dangers of the world. It was awe-inspiring. And she asked me if I would worship her and love her for who she was. At first, I was uncertain of of anything, but once I realized that this was something that I was moving towards, I said yes. And she reached out and she gave me a hug. And before I knew it, I was standing back before my friends. And this glyph was now a part of me. And the king, also standing there, having seen everything, declared me terror reborn. Hence why the fairly constant stares within Boulderont. I was wondering about that. I usually don't get um, this intensely, but that does explain things now. So, the gods were either dead or asleep, and it sounds like you and your friends, with the help of Selene, were able to wake them up. Whatever happened to Selene? Well, unfortunately, Selene has perished, but not completely. She has, in fact, died, yes, but her power has actually been reborn into another child, a baby. She has been given to a a new family to be raised and treated well. 
from what her brother informed us of, because Anothi was able to awaken Eros, the god of wind, and through that had been privy to certain visions and information that we were not. And Salan's reborn body is to become one of the next heroes of this world that we are fighting to ensure that they will be able to protect it. By making sure there is still the world left to protect. Precisely. Each of my friends has awakened a god within themselves. And so in a way the gods walk the earth again. That is no easy feat and sometimes I've seen it go early when the gods walk the earth, but since they're doing it through people who maintain themselves, it's something I've never really seen before, but I'm curious to see how all of this ends up playing out. Well, each of us has a part to play, and we all know the price of failure. Price of failure being... What exactly is this airglyph after? Sounds just power. Airglyph seeks that which my friends and I have, these glyphs. These unlock power and potential beyond that which I suppose an average mage would have access to. Each of us can command ability that turns the tides of battle and can reshape the world, and he wants that. He was seeking the glyph for Eros, and that is actually what he had originally sent our group to go in search of after he discovered that we had opened the sealed cave. He wanted us to find the glyph of air and retrieve it for him using a magical device that he told us would neutralize this glyph and allow it to be transported safely. I didn't know if such things were possible, but I also doubt if that's what it actually does. Well, it does. We had encountered these magical devices afterwards as well. The trouble with a glyph of the gods is that its power is far more beyond being able to be simply nullified. And Eros's glyph was doubly as much. It was violent. That would make sense. That is what we seek to do. We don't wish to kill him, because, according to what we've been told from Anothi, is that Erglyph needs to be alive, because the true hero of the future needs a goal, needs an enemy, and Erglyph is to be that enemy. Sounds like there's... Some powerful beings playing a very long game here, indeed. Yes. Our goal is not to destroy him or or his city or his people. What our goal is, strange as it may sound, is to separate him from the world. Anothi has helped us and we have helped him secure these magical seeds. They're massive. Approximately... He holds his hand out, and it's roughly about the size of a small watermelon. These seeds are apparently key to growing these mystical groves. 
copses of trees that hold tremendous power. We seek to plant these seeds, and they will magically begin to grow around his citadel. And once they have taken root and are ready, then it falls upon me to use my power to separate his land from the earth and raise it into the air. Creating a prison of sorts. Yes, a, a flying prison. It will be up to myself and my companions to distract him long enough to keep him from discovering what Anothi is doing. And once Anothi has finished his task, it is it will come to me to finish it. This sounds like no easy task indeed, but also incredibly important. I would lie to you and say that it's not nerve-wracking to an extent, but I know my duty, and I know that I will do what I can to protect my friends and the people of this world. You also do have the power of at least one, if not more, gods behind you. Well, maybe not all directly behind you, but you have Terra. I do. Well, I suppose I am Terra, in a way. That's at least what the king keeps telling me. And passers-by the city, they all call out to me as Terra, not as Tristan. But it's funny in that way. Certainly come a long way from when you were just a uh, hunter. Ever wondered what your life might have looked like if you'd never been allowed into that cave? Frankly, I, I think of that often. I wonder what would have happened if I had not strayed to the sealed cave. What would I be doing now? Would I be hearing rumors of adventurers spanning the globe, seeking rumored abilities and, and strange powers? Perhaps I would just continue to hunt and pay it no mind. I mean, if I had not gone on this adventure, I suppose, I would not truly have discovered love in that way. Oh, you fell in love along the way. I found that love found me, and I learned that it had been a part of me all along. I just did not know how to express it fully. One of my companions, Quirinia, she is a fascinating woman. She's a golden-scaled being. She's soft and, and quiet and reserved, but terrifyingly powerful in battle. And we just grew together and discovered that we had a shared love that neither of us was truly willing to admit at first, and yet it was there. I'm very happy for you. Not all too often uh, people have a story such as that, but whenever I hear one, it does warm my heart very much. I don't think I would be the same person I am today without her. Probably a good thing you are both chosen in a way, then. <laughs> I suppose that is an excellent way of putting it. Well, so you say there's soon to be a war? Are you going to try and... Or think about what you'll do after this is over, once you've imprisoned him. That is a very interesting question. I believe that once he is truly separated from this world, that it will fall on us to watch over it. We will watch for the next heroes. 
and when it is time for them to rise up and take their weapons against Aeroglyph, it will be time for us to step back. I imagine that will be an interesting day indeed when you get to watch someone else finish what you started for them. I do not relish fighting. It's never been something I truly have enjoyed, but I fight to ensure that others may live. There's a very good reason to fight. And I wish more people had many go out and seek a battle for glory, but there's not as much glory in it as some people think. War is bloody and frightening. Best it is. But yes, in what's possibly a very short time, my friends and the warriors of Boulderont that have signed up for this assault will be taking the airships that have been built here and will be heading for Aeroglyph's continent. We'll be bringing the fight to him. The rest of the airships will be distracting his own fleet while we few go in and ensure that we distract him and keep him occupied until the time comes to cut his land free. It is going to be quite the intense battle, friend. I do believe it will be. And the story for the ages. It is truly something that I believe all will be singing about. I imagine the relief once all of it is over will be tremendous, and perhaps you will all be able to take some time to yourselves to rest and just enjoy being alive. Maybe do all the things you've always wanted to do, but never had time because you were too busy trying to save the world, and and after the nice long vacation, you can start looking for the next generation. I suppose a good long rest would be in order after all that. And very well learned. Wondered if the gods will choose to stay around once it's over. I assume they will, but never know for sure with the gods. I suppose in that respect, it is, it is our own choice because each of us holds within us a god. If they decide that there is further purpose for us, I suppose that will that will be what we need to do. Holding the power of the gods within us does stop our physical aging. We could potentially live for far beyond the years of, of any mortal. That does add an interesting perspective to things, because when you don't know if you're going to die or if it's even possible change how you see the world and how you see life and the people around you. It is certainly a um, an interesting prospect to know that people that I grew up with I will outlive potentially tenfold. That I will watch children that were born age and die while I remain. I suppose I haven't quite grasped the potential of immortality. It's not all it's cracked up to be, but at least you won't be immortal alone. No, I will have Quirinia. And my other friends. And I'm sure I can stop by and take it on you every once in a while. Make sure you're not losing your humanity. 
I certainly wouldn't say no to another chat, Ezra. This has been very pleasant. I haven't had an opportunity to speak like this about about everything, I suppose. At least not among anyone who wasn't already a friend or a compatriot. That is why I wondered and why I seek out those who look like they have stories to tell, because sometimes you just need a friendly face to talk to, and one immortal to another, it helps you remember the way you do what you do. Well, I truly appreciate it. Can I get you something from the bar, or are you not interested? I'll take a drink, and maybe we can switch to some lighter tales. Absolutely. Tristan will raise his hand and motion, and within moments, two tankards of, of ale have been brought to the table, and as Tristan reaches for his coin purse, the barman shakes his head and holds his hand out, says, you drink free, and then heads back to the bar. Now, before Esther slips a couple coins into his pocket when he's not looking. <laughs> well, here's to new friends. Here's to new friends. Tales of Adventure is directed and produced by me, Brianna Toiber, as part of Pseudonym Social, a creative podcast network. The music is by Patrick Chester of Chester Studios. To see more of his work, visit his website at chesterstudios.net. Find out more about Pseudonym Social by visiting our website at pseudonymsocial.wordpress.com. If you like what I'm doing and would like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash pseudonymsocial and choose one of the tiers connected to Tales of Adventure. You can also leave a review on iTunes to make our show easier to find for those who need it.